Matthew 26, verses 1 to 13. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest. His name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. We're continuing to look at our series on the questions that Jesus either asked or answered. And today's question's an interesting one, because in the face of it, it sounds like quite a simple one. The question is simply, this expensive perfume that the woman that had broken over Jesus, why had she done that, and why hadn't she given the money to the poor instead? And it's asked in an accusatory tone to her, and we see that Jesus' response is really, really interesting, because it cuts to the heart of what we're going to look at today, and that is what are you worshipping? I want us just to think about that. What is it that we worship? Now we might say, well, we're Christians, we worship Jesus, but really what are we living for? What are we giving ourselves to? What are we doing with our time and talents and money? Because actually that shows us more about what we're worshipping than just what we say that we worship. I've titled this message, Wake Up, and smell the perfume because I believe that this perfume that was broken over Jesus speaks of worship live from a grateful heart it speaks of an extravagant sense of worship it speaks of bringing and giving one's best to Jesus so we're going to look at that in some more detail now I want us just to uh, begin with a little bit of background now these events happen in the time leading up to Passover to the in the last few days of Jesus life and what we see is that this is a time when the pressure is on the pressure is on Jesus as he contemplates the cross the pressure is on this the disciples as Jesus is talking more and more about going to the cross the precious is on the pressure is on the religious elite who are troubled by Jesus position and we see that in the midst of it Here's a, uh, here's a woman who comes along and simply does the most wonderful act of worship 
to Jesus. As I've said, it was uh, in the build-up to the Passover. And it's important to know that because Jerusalem at the time was seen as a very troubled and rebellious city by the Romans. And they were really concerned about the fact that a rebellion in there could spread. Now, we know that at the time of Passover, as, as the people of Israel would come together, there could be up to one and a half million people in this city. And then suddenly you've got Jesus uh, being exalted by a crowd. You've got this, uh, this radical preacher, and that begins to make people nervous. And it's really important that we see that that is the context to this. The context is that the pressure is very much on. And like so many things in history, what's really interesting isn't just the big events, but it's the little stories of people that make up this big picture. And fundamental to that, actually, in this passage is Lazarus. So we know that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and that had caused a bit of a stir. And because of that, some of the religious leaders were plotting against Lazarus. We know also that some of the crowds that went to see Jesus as he came into Jerusalem were there because they'd heard about what had happened to Lazarus. So Lazarus is then at this dinner party and this is one of the key, uh, he's one of the key people to have in view as we look at what happened happens here we see that Jesus is preparing to go to the cross and we see the very different reactions to him so firstly let's look at the religious establishment we see in verse uh, 2 here it says you know that our Jesus is speaking he says that you know after two days the Passover is coming and the son of man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, lest a riot occur among the people. So that gives us something here of the background. These religious elite, the leaders of the people, those who in one sense should have known God the most, those who should have been leading the way in the worship of Jesus actually weren't doing it. What we see is that they were actively plotting against Jesus. That's why I said earlier it's not what we, who we say we worship but it's actually what we really do with our lives that reflects our worship because these people they would say they're worshiping God and yet they were plotting to kill God come in the flesh you know to to say that we're religious to say that we're Christians in one sense means little if our hearts are far far from God and at times in history Christians have done and the church itself as an institution have done some terrible terrible things so I want to ask you again that question who or what are you worshipping we see here that the uh, the response of the religious leaders was actually driven by insecurity by fear and a desire to hold on to their own place and their own status if we look at John's gospel who also gives an account of these events in John 11 47 and 48 says then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did 
Then the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come away, come and take away both our place and our nation. Here we see the reason why they don't want Jesus around. They were worried for their religious position, for the institutions and for their nation. And in one sense, you can understand some of that. But the fact is, they chose not to worship Jesus because he posed a threat to, to their life as they knew it. That, that phrase that the Romans will come and take away our place. They will come and take away our place. They will change things around. They will change the religious order and structure of our nation around. You see, the religious elite had done a bargain, essentially, with Rome, saying, give us some freedom and we'll keep the people just the right side of rebellion. They wanted to preserve their place. But here's the thing. When God works in our lives, he wants to change how we are. He wants to change our core. He wants to change our responses. God wants to change things about us. And we don't get to say, God, I want you in my life. But here are the boundaries and here are the limitations. When Jesus comes to be Lord of our life, he wants to be Lord over everything. And when God comes and works in your life, he's going to mess with it. He's going to change stuff around. And we each of us have to, to answer that fundamental question. Do we believe in the Lordship of Jesus? Are we going to be people who worship him? Or are we going to be people who want to stay in control? And basically the religious leaders of their time failed the worship test. They wanted to stay in control and so they worshipped their own position and place and institution and they failed to worship Jesus. Secondly, we see that Mary worshipped Jesus and she worshipped him extravagantly. We get this scene of Jesus at a dinner party and the really interesting thing is that there's all these people sitting around with Jesus having a meal but I want us to even look at the setting. The setting says that Jesus was in the home of Simon the leper. Now the incredible thing is that lepers didn't do dinner parties. They were socially unclean and outcast but Simon's situation had changed. Why? Because he was no longer a leper because he'd met with Jesus. We read that he was reclining at the table with uh, Lazarus. And Lazarus had been a dead man, but he was no longer dead. So this is the most incredible scene. Jesus with a dead person who's no longer dead because Jesus raised him from the dead. He's there with a leper who's no longer a leper because Jesus has healed him. And into that story comes this woman, Mary. And Mary comes and she takes this important jar of perfume that she has and she breaks it over 
Jesus. Now, it's really interesting. If we look at the gospel accounts, we see that that costs 300 denarii, basically a whole year's wages. She took this and she comes and she breaks it over Jesus. And if we put together the account in John as well as the one in Matthew, we see not only did she break this over his head, but she broke it over his feet as well and then takes out her hair and begins to mop and clean his hair his feet with her hair the most incredible scene of devotion and even humiliation so mary has this perfume and uh, for it to cost a year's wages now if i buy any perfume you know if you know they, they do a good uh, imitation version of something in Lidl it costs about four quid that's the kind of perfume I like to buy so you know none of this spending a year's wages business but this woman has this perfume that's about a year's wages now a lot of theologians think that this may have been her her dowry for when she got married or it may have been like a life insurance policy it may have been her savings could have been all she had saved up her precious gift, her precious possession, and she pours it out as a gift over Jesus. I want us to see the extravagance. She doesn't just take it and sprinkle a few drops on him, but she takes it and she breaks it and extravagantly pours this perfume out over him. What she's doing is she's worshipping. Jesus later in this account says, she has anointed me for burial. She's done a great thing. You see, Mary took what was precious and poured it out over Jesus in an extravagant form. This is the kind of worship that we're called to as believers, to bring what we have and to break it over Jesus, to give and give to him extravagantly. What's really interesting is that the fact she took her hair out, which would have been a very socially unacceptable thing to do, and then dries his feet with it, it, it's just the position of complete worship and humiliation. It's profound. It's extravagant. This is real worship. It's not easy worship. You see, Mary had got it. She had realized she'd been listening. When Jesus had been talking about going to the cross, it seemed somehow that she had understood and she knew that the fitting response was to bring what she had, what was of importance to her, and break it over Jesus. This is extravagant. I want us to see that what Mary offered was her very best. And this challenges us about our Christian lives. You know, do we bring ourselves to Jesus? Do we listen to what he's saying? And do we give of our very best to him? Thirdly, I want us to see Judas' reaction to Mary's extravagant worship of Jesus. You see, actually, we see that Judas reacts furiously. And actually, if we look at the gospel accounts, it's not just Judas, but actually the other disciples join in and they have a pile on against Mary. And they basically begin to criticize her. And we get that question that forms the heart of this talk. Verse 5 of John 12 says, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Why was this money not given to the poor? Mary, why did you waste this on Jesus? 
Verse 6 of that passage says, Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. What we see is that Judas doesn't like this act of costly worship, this act of extravagant worship from Mary. And the other disciples join in with it. You see, in purely monetary terms, it doesn't make sense. They could have taken that and at a year's wages, you could do an awful lot of good with it. Why? Because they hadn't understood that actually worshipping Jesus is more important than doing things for him. And friends, particularly in a church like ours where we often do so much, it is so important not to allow our devotionality, our love of God, our worship of him, our honouring him and esteeming of him, our heart relationship with him. It's important not to allow that to play second fiddle to serving him. Now, I believe if we get that right, if we worship God passionately, passionately, if we're loving followers of Jesus, we'll do all those other things that serve other people. But we have to get it the right way around. We have to come, firstly, from a place of worship. You see, all of us come to Jesus needily, in need. We come to God in need. We are in need of salvation. We are in need of forgiveness. We have nothing to bring. And when we come to Christ, we come in need and in faith. We're, we put our faith in him and we're made new. Our past is forgiven and we're born again. And yet the incredible thing is we come in need. And in one sense, we stay in need, but we need to move on from need to devotion. We need to move on from need, not just to works, but to worship, to loving God with all of our heart. You see, Jesus, as he approached the cross, had been talking more and more about the sacrifice that he was about to make. And we see that Mary's response was to worship, whereas Judas was to go and to save his own life. He realized it's not a good time to be a follower of Jesus. And in fact, something about this in this encounter here actually seems to have just triggered the final thing in Judas. We see that after this encounter, he goes away and he negotiates a price for Jesus. Something had changed. Mary chose to worship and Judas, who, who was in love with money, chose the pursuit of money and his own safety. Here we have a great comparison, worship of God versus worship of money. You know, it's easy to criticize the devotion of others. And I recognize something of that in my own heart, that I can sometimes criticize other people. And we need to be careful that we worship Jesus, not our idealized way of doing things. Let's look at Jesus' response as they ask this question, Jesus says to them, why do you bother this woman? Again, so many times Jesus answers a question with a question, but then he gives an explanation. He says, the poor you will always have with you, but she has anointed my body to prepare it for burial. We read that in Matthew 26, 10 to 13. And then he says, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, 
What this woman has done shall be also spoken of in memory to her. You see, worship comes before service. If you think about it, mission, evangelism, those things exist because worship does not. And in fact, when Christ returns and we are with him, mission and evangelism will be no more. But worship will be. And we were created to worship God. You see, the difference is Mary had understood what Jesus was going to do and she chose to worship him. She had woken up and smelled the perfume. And just to close, I I was just very struck by the fact that the next night as Jesus took the last supper with his disciples, I think the room would have been thick with the smell of perfume. This perfume, this expensive perfume that was broken out over Jesus, that would have remained on him. You know, when you've put perfume on, or I don't put perfume on, but aftershave maybe, but when you put a fragrance on and you can smell it later on. And I believe as Jesus spoke to the disciples at the Last Supper, the room would have been thick with the, the, uh, the, the aroma of sacrifice. But I want to end just on a profound thought. Also, when Judas leaned in to betray Jesus, when he leaned in and he kissed him, he embraced him. <gasps> What's that smell? What's that smell? It's that perfume. Imagine the conviction as he went to betray Jesus. Suddenly his nostrils are filled with the reminder of real worship. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you. When I read texts like this, I'm convicted of the hardness of my own heart. You know what? I want to place myself in the position of Mary here. But in the reality is that my heart is so often more like Judas. I'm so often more struck with how does this thing affect me and I just pray for each of us that today we would realize the value of worshiping Jesus with all that we have we would understand that to love him is better than to serve him but if we truly love him then we will serve him and that we would allow our lives to be an extravagant extravagant fragrance of worship to Jesus. God bless you. Have a great week.